Hey, welcome to Freedom Decoded, our podcast where we let our hair down and show you behind the scenes of our life. If you don't know about us, we're Carrie and Demir Bentley. We ditched the rat race and created our own freedom lifestyle, and now we help other people do the same. If you want to learn more about us, check us out at lifehackmethod.com. But today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics of the year, <laughs> probably I'm too into this, which is our 12 personal commandments for the year. So, um, Carrie, can you set this up? Where did the 12 personal commandments concept come from? Yeah, so this is based on a, an exercise that, well, actually, Gretchen Rubin just published a casual blog post where she was like, I have these personal commandments, and the internet basically exploded. Um, and our community loved the exercise so much when we, when we did it ourselves and then shared it with them that we sort of started doing it as an annual thing. And um, what's really cool about it is sometimes in life, there's not a place for you to sort of store or um, chronicle your first principles, like your personal values. Like you might have them up here or you, and you kind of like know them in sort of a nebulous fashion um, or you share, you know you share some with your with your partner, but they're not actually written down. So this is a great opportunity to be like, hey, how are we actually writing this out? How, like what is included in our values and what's not? purposefully yeah. included. I think the things that I like about it are being able to modify your values because every year is different and you're evolving. We're just about to have a second kid. And so, you know, what was important to us and the values that we needed to live by five years ago are different now, in some cases because we've changed, but in some cases because what we were trying to center ourselves around has become so much a part of us that now we don't need to remind ourselves right. anymore. Yeah. So I guess the point that I would say that really gets me about this is this idea that, yeah, you might want to live by certain values, but if you don't write it down and have it in front of you so you can refer back to it, it's easy to forget and right. lose sight of the values you're trying to target. Definitely. Yeah. So we think of it more as like, hey, what are the things we're almost aspiring to uh, B. And if it's something that we already are and we, we don't need any reminder whatsoever, then they don't make it onto our 12 commandments list. This is probably, I think, the most different thing about us versus Gretchen Rubin is that hers, as I understand it, are permanent. This is me all the time. And we sort of encourage for ourselves and for our community, we encourage people to change it to say what feels present to you this year and what do you want to keep from last year's personal commandments? What feels like you've already deeply integrated it and, and what do you need to add? Right, yes. Yeah. So basically, it's thinking up through the lens of like, hey, what kind of person do I want to be? You know, who is Demir and who is Carrie and who are we together and what do we represent? Um, so yeah, it's really, really exciting exercise and we don't change all of them every year. We just change usually like some of them. Yeah, some just of them like a keep. handful. Yeah, sometimes some we retire, some we keep and some we add. Yeah. Um, I, for people who are real life hack method nerds, the people who are in our community, um, I think it's helpful to talk about where this fits inside of the life hack method. So for those of you who don't know, the life hack method is a fully integrated operating system for how to run your life uh, January to December, Monday through Sunday, right? Just what's our operating system for life. One of the things that we do that's fundamental is annual pre-planning. We do annual, monthly, and weekly pre-planning. The problem is that if you've got the wrong beliefs 
at the juicy core of your essence. If you believe the wrong things or you've got what I call lower beliefs instead of higher beliefs, if you're not aspiring to something better, then you can fall victim to creating the wrong reality. And and that sounds really woo-woo, but let me just take a moment to unpack that. There's something really great called the BET-DAR model, and that stands for beliefs leading to emotions, leading to thoughts, leading to decisions, leading to actions, then forming your reality. We're not going to go into that right now, but if you accept the basic premise that if you have the wrong belief at the juicy core of your being, then all the productivity tips and tricks in the world are actually going to be either ineffective or much less effective than they would be. So we find that it's a great time. We're about to do annual pre-planning next month. And so this is a great time to sort of clear the decks, get down to the core essence of what your beliefs are, and make sure that you're anchoring yourself in the right beliefs before we do annual pre-planning so that when you're making plans, those plans are coming from the right core. Right. So if you guys didn't catch that for all my fellow analytical brain folks out there, this is sort of like the think and grow rich, like how your beliefs create your reality. But Demir explained it in like 15 seconds. <laughs> so, um, but just to trust me, be because of the, you know, the bet dar model, it's actually a, a way that you can understand how that happens. It's not just like me saying, well, your beliefs shape your reality. You I know, that's what feels that a little bit disconnected. Yeah. So the bet dar model helps explain how that actually happens in a logical way. Yeah. But I think most people understand that if you've got a limiting belief deep in your core, it really holds you back it from really the goals does. and yeah. actions that you want to take. Right, totally, because you just end up not taking those actions, even if you want to. Yeah, I mean, or subtly sabotaging yourself. Yeah. You know, I love the analogy driving with the e-brake on. Right. A- anybody who's, you know, learned to drive in the last 20 or 30 years knows that feeling of like, something's wrong with my car. I should be going faster <laughs> than this. What is going on? You look down and you're like, oh, duh. I have I'm, the e-brake oh, on. Oh, I feel so like, stupid. This is so and bad for my car. <laughs> I think a limiting belief often can either stop you outright or even just really slow you down to where you're thinking, why am I moving so slowly to this goal? Yep. Yeah, where other people are moving faster. Yeah, totally. So let's get into, we're not going to go into all of our personal commandments. That would be too long. Let's just talk about the ones that we felt like the new ones, the ones we wanted to bring uh, right, into yeah. our life. Yeah, yeah. So the first new personal commandment that we wanted to bring in is this uh, Latin term called gratatim uh, ferociter, and I'm sure I'm butchering that. Um, but the idea is step-by-step ferociously. And I think um, this is not something that we haven't been living by. Actually, it's something that we have that I think has really been working for us. And I think I was finally able to almost encapsulate it into a core belief. Um, One of the things we talk about a lot with people is, hey, yeah, you want to think about what's going wrong and fix it. Also, it's entirely worth asking yourself, what am I doing right? And we had a really good year this year and the year before. And I think during our annual review, I sort of did a cursory annual review. I was thinking like, wow, how have we done so well in the last two years? And I think it's been an attitude of step-by-step ferociously, not skipping any steps, not trying to avoid uh, the difficult work or the busy work, but simply you know, passionately and ferociously taking every incremental step that's in front of us. Yeah, I think it's it's funny because a lot of new clients are like, yeah, they hear our business name, Life Hack, right? And, you know, they has a certain connotation and it kind of meant something different when we started the business. So, uh, you know, just keep that in mind. But I think they're very surprised by how little we espouse like really quick fixes. And shortcuts. And yeah. shortcuts. And we find that actually the fastest method is taking the long cut a lot of the times. 
So the easiest and fastest way. Usually is, when we hear like a marketing tactic that's like going to cure everything or whatever, like we're very skeptical because we've just seen that that doesn't work and we end up spinning our wheels. So instead, yeah. we try to do like the real work of understanding our customers, understanding pain points, yeah. understanding how to craft offers that speak to them and take it from there rather than sort of like going to tactics and, and shortcuts. Yeah. I mean, I think a great example of this in our life was um, we had a course that we loved, we absolutely believed in, we released it, and we just didn't get the response that we wanted from the course. I think for a lot of people, it's like, well, let's create another course. And for us, it was like, no, let's keep, let's let's adapt. Let's take another look at the title, at the marketing. And this year we released it and it was a big hit. Yeah. So that kind of like, you know, we're not just going to abandon ship at the first sign of trouble. When we've committed to a course of action, we take it step by step. Even with setbacks, we just, again, just little by little, step by step ferociously. I just love that phrase. For some reason, it's inspiring to me, like that right. you can be ferocious and passionate but going very deliberately and slowly. Yeah, yeah. It can also keep us from doing like too many things at once. It can feel like we're trying to like run where we're like, let's do this and this and this, especially as the team grows and the business grows and, you know, our family grows. So it's a good reminder to just be like, hey, one foot in front of the other. And it's okay to just take it at that same rate that we've always taken it at. So the next one we're calling uh, lift your eyes to the sky. So um, this one is is cool because it's kind of easy to, in the day-to-day swirl of life, sort of lose track of that long-term focus and that long-term goal. And it can also, um, because you're you're committed to one outcome over such a long period of time, it can even get like a little bit boring, right? Like it can be boring to think about after a while. So um, what does this one mean to you? I mean, there's nothing more, I'm not incentivized by money, which is crazy because most people are like, money's everything to them. And you've been with me when I've been broke. You've been with me when we've been wealthy. I'm pretty much the same dude. I'm not any happier or any sadder. So for me, there's nothing more boring or uninspiring than creating what I call like a sausage factory business Mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, we just keep grinding. We don't improve. We're just taking clients on one side and grinding them through and spitting them out on the other side. Like that really doesn't inspire me. What inspires me is our mission to be the absolute best in the world at transforming people's productivity and in the process create a generational change in people's relationship to work. That's, I mean, there's nothing more eyes to the sky than that. I mean, that right. is, that's that's the, it's almost so big it can be scary, but it also is scary in a good way, like mm-hmm. almost inspiring, like, oh, that's what we're doing. Yes, we have the mechanics of our business. Yes, we wanna be step-by-step ferociously, but. Also, at the same time, we want to remember that, like, what we're here for and what we're doing and what the what the passion is. And all too often running a business, especially a successful business that's spitting off money and is profitable, you can get into the point where you it almost becomes just um, rote work for rote work's sake and you forget yeah. where you're going and you can get complacent and just say, oh, I guess I'm good enough here. Yeah, I think you sort of see two paths. You see the entrepreneurs that are while they say they're not all about money, it's like incredibly obvious that they are. (laughs) So you see them on social media bragging about, you know, the masterminds they're attending and the famous people they're meeting and the rich people that they know. And it's like, oh, for me and Demir, this is like not, like we actively 
do not like being in those sorts of rooms because it has a kind of energy that we're not pursuing. Like we're not, we believe that our business will grow naturally as we serve more people. And we can serve more people if we provide more value to those people. So our focus is like you already said, is actually um, changing people's lives and their productivity. Our focus is not necessarily like growing our top line and bottom line. So yeah, I think like keeping our focus on, on that vision is like just way more inspiring. Yeah, and I think maybe I put it in here because there is, maybe I felt in the last year or two moments, not like the entire time, but moments when I could just get into, we, we've achieved yes. such a good place that I could feel myself almost being willing to just downshift and, 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 right. and coast. Yes, and that's the other path that entrepreneurs that, aren't, that don't have that money drive tend to fall into where it's like, well, I'm good. I'm going to coast now. And we also don't want to land there. Yeah. So like we have to find a way to keep ourselves passionate and motivated that works for us. Yeah. Why are we doing this? Yeah. I love this one. Uh, shout out to our friend Hagai for this one. If you can pay to make a problem go away, then it's not a problem. Um, <laughs> I thought it, it, this is funny because, you know, we, we both come from, you know, I would say not wealthy families, not the poorest of the poor, but certainly like money didn't come easy to either of our families. And so we grew up with, you know, pretty stingy mindsets and pretty a lot of anxiety around money, a lot of anxiety around being quote unquote broke. And the, one of the weird things that I noticed happening is that even as we became wealthier and we created financial independence and financial resilience, if something happened, we would still get stressed about it. Like, oh no, this thing happened. And our friend Hakai said to us one time when we were stressing about something, he said, do you have enough money to make this problem go away? And I said, well, well yeah, 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 well, sure, sure. He's like, well, then it's not a problem. Why are you stressing out about it? Right, Just right. pay the money and make it go away. And my first thought when I heard this was like, oh, that's just something a rich person would say, right? (laughs) That was like my immediate thought. But then I was thinking about it more and I was like, yeah, but like compared, I mean, even when we were first starting out when we thought we were like super broke, compared to most of the world, we're still incredibly privileged Yeah. because we ran that beer casting exercise. And this is before our business was making money. This is when we had a lot of debt already. And we were even asking ourselves like, well, if we had gotten some kind of huge financial, additional financial burden, would we have found ourselves on the street? No, because we have like tons of relatives we could have moved in with. Yeah, You know, they're just like going through that exercise of being like, well, but really we're extremely privileged. Like we could have, we could solve this, you know? So I think that's where this um, really started to gel with me. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's almost just like, listen, part of the point of moving here to Colombia and 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 saving when other people spent and creating that financial resilience wasn't just to have the money. It was also to have the mindset that accompanies the money. Totally. And the mindset that accompanies the money is lower anxiety, lower fear, lower stress. And so when I when something costs like a very small amount of money, you know, to me, instead of stressing and paying it, just pay it and don't stress. Right? Yeah, <laughs> you know? this is sort of the Ramit Sethi mindset around money that I think is becoming more popular and that I really like um, for especially, I think, the younger generation. So this it's cool to see it become more popular. <laughs> totally, totally. Cool. So let's talk about some old commandments that are still inspiring us and lighting us up this year. Yeah, I think one of them that's still, um, it's been on our list for a couple years is um, always choose the bigger life. Mm. So when we're confronted with a decision and you could genuinely go either way on the decision, you're like, I do not know whether to say yes or no or A or B. We, uh, we help, it helps to ask yourself, well, which path leads to the bigger life? Yeah. And that could 
lead to a different answer depending on the person, which is why I like this so much. Um, you know, for one person, the bigger life could mean having fewer kids, while another person could mean having more kids. Yeah. So this is why this question is so um, cool. And you were a great example of that this year. Um, so we were planning to do our annual trip. We, you know, it was a month. I was, I was planning us to be like five weeks in Europe, no nanny, no support, no nothing like that. And uh, we had conversations around, oh, Tamir, maybe we should just do two weeks. Like, let's not go the full five weeks. And, you know, even with the boat, taking our two and a half year old on a boat, no other parents in our group chose to bring their kids and we did. And uh, although some people could rightly say, well, that sounds irresponsible, you know, it was a good example of you saying, oh, God, it's probably going to be difficult, but it is the bigger life, yeah. right? It's it's the bigger choice. And I think net-net of, you know, there were some difficulties and it was challenging. But looking back, now that all of that has faded, it was the bigger life. It was the Absolutely. better choice. Yeah. yeah. And now in hindsight, of course, everyone's like, that's so cool. Like, you guys are the coolest couple and family. Like, wow. And I'm like, yeah, but before we went, y'all were criticizing us <laughs> and being so yeah, it's interesting how um, hindsight's twenty twenty on that. But yeah, I am glad yeah. that that you pushed me to to do that, and we made you know we had to do a lot of things to make it happen. But um, that's that's a great example. But it was a big choice. Yeah. Here's another one: less doing, more value. And I love this. A shout out to Ari Mizell, who I think well, I don't know if he he his his statement is less doing, yeah. but I I added less doing, more value. And the way that I think about this is not just in our business, but I think it's a great example for a business, so I'll just use that first, is the idea of like, how can we always be trying to solve the problem of creating so much more value for our client, but doing less? Mm -hmm. Because if we're doing that, we're creating a business that can scale, that can serve more people. We're not gonna create a generational change in productivity if it's limited to the productivity that you and I can put in. Right. You and I choose to work less than 30 hours a week, but in truth, even if we work 60, 70, 120 hours a week, there's not enough of us right. to scale to the size of the problem that we wanna tackle. So we've got to create something that can scale past us. And part of that is constantly solving and resolving this problem in our head of how could we offer more value while doing less? Yeah. I'm not lit up by that from the perspective of, I just want to sit on a beach with my toes in the sand doing nothing, yeah, no, making no, no. a ton of money. But more, I think the part of the angle of that that lights me up is this is what will help us get to that generational change we yeah. want to make in productivity. And it's still, it's a win actually for the clients because insofar that we've been doing this, clients have been more happy with the service yeah. that we've provided and willing to spend more on it and spend more time and energy. So that's exactly what we want to see. And I like that we solve this problem on many levels. Like it's not just, we're not just sitting in a in a room, like trying to think about this in, in the global sense for our yeah. business. Like with every task, with every program, with every launch, like we're trying to think about how to make it a little bit different and better. Yeah, so one of the videos I saw recently from this guy, Alex Hormozzi, that really lit me up was this idea of having zero turnover in your business, which is like, for so many people, is like, what are you even talking about? But he's like, look at look at companies like Netflix, where you've got a service, and even if you aren't using it, there's so much value there that you don't even turn it off because you might want to use it next month or the month after. And I, I love that challenge to ask yourself, how do you create something where people are literally banging down your door? Like, please take my money. I never want to turn this off. This is so valuable. I mean, that's a hard question. I don't have all the answers right no. now, but it's the right question to be asking. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love this. It's almost like a Yoda level thing. It's like, uh, but I love puzzles. So it's like a puzzle that's constantly solved. 
before we move on, though, I also want to say in our personal life, you know, the other thing is like, how can we be offering value to our child and our home life without necessarily always needing to be pulling the levers ourselves? How how can we create the kind of environments that are stimulating with Gigi without us always having to be there being the ones who are stimulating her? Um, So just, it's just such a great question. Totally, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Another one that I love that we're keeping is live like no one else so you can live like no one else. Yeah, the classic. The classic. Everyone in our our life hack community knows this one. Um, Basically, if you do the stuff, the simple things that other people just aren't willing to to do or aren't mainstream yet or aren't popular yet, you know, things like pre-planning your week, um, things like taking cold showers to you know, wake yourself up when it's time for your deep Having work. a budget and sticking to it. Yeah, then you get to live the kind of life that no one else gets to live. Yep. I mean, we're living proof of this, and that sounds like a flex, but it's really not. Like, I mean, if you told me 10 years ago about my life today, I would slap you and call you a liar. Right. No, I would say totally. there's no way that I could, I could be there. No way. And, you know, it, it really is from living like no one else so that we can live like no one else. And in the process, it's funny, you and I laugh all the time about some of our best decisions created the biggest outcry with our clients or with our family. Don't do that. That's going to be the end of everything. And it was actually the beginning of everything. Why are you moving to Columbia? Isn't it dangerous there? I mean, you, you name it. So many different right. decisions we've made in our life or in our business. Um, but sometimes you got to live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. Yeah, totally. Um, and then the final one that we want to we wanna keep is uh, measure twice and cut once. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this one is just represents us really well, I think. Like, we're really good at, instead of, like, moving really fast and then cutting away the fat, um, we're really good at just, like, making sure that we're measuring twice and being a little bit more cautious first so that we save all that extra work later. Yeah. I mean, a great example is commitments. We've had a bunch of people offer us some really great opportunities. Shout out if you're somebody who's just recently offered us an opportunity that we've turned down. But our philosophy is instead of just saying yes in the heat of the moment to great opportunities with great partners, we actually just take a moment to really ask ourselves, okay, let's go back to our annual pre-planning document. What was our goal for this year? What are our resources? You know, and then and measuring it out very carefully. And what, what has happened is we've turned down some really great opportunities with really great partners yeah. simply because we, after measuring it carefully, we realized we didn't have the capacity to really pull it off in excellence. I mean, these things these things are insidious because like it's it's funny to call an opportunity insidious. But for example, just the other day, I had someone I respect a lot email me and she was like, I have this really great Haro, which is a help a reporter out um, media opportunity, right? You have to just email this reporter some productivity tips. And I was like, oh, no. No, yeah. I'm going to say no to that because I have my week planned out. Um, I've done these Haro things before, and you are not guaranteed to be featured. Yeah. And getting featured in media is not on my leverage ladder right now. Yep. Um, we, we don't need it. It was, <laughs> frankly. On, it was early in this was, year. We it, did a whole PR push. If it had been earlier in the year, maybe I would have put in more effort and said yes to that opportunity. But I was just like, and it, I had zero guilt around saying no to it. I was just like, no, this is not a now thing. Listen, it's about it's like a dance card. Like you can only dance with one person at a time, right? So, you know, if they want to get in line, great. You know, there might be an opportunity for us to dance together later. But right now, this is what's on my dance card and it's filled up. Yeah. 
Yeah. Love this one. I love this one. <laughs> this is great. I love talking to you about this. Sometimes we do prep for these uh, these podcasts. And, you know, just like anything, I'm like, oh, I got to do the prep for this podcast. This is one where I really got pulled in and sucked in. And I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah. I, I Sometimes I can even forget. And this is why we come back annually and do some of these ones where every year we do the 12 personal commandments. Not because we're lazy, but because every single year I almost remember all over again, oh, my God, thank God we take this moment to just stop. Up. You know, out of our crazy life, there's so much going on. Just this one moment to stop and clear the decks and say, like, what are our values and what do we want to hold true to this year? Yeah. And if you're already a Lifehack Tribe member, do not miss Demir's workshop this month where he's going to be leading you through creating your own personal commandments. Um, and if you're not a member yet, then you can join. We'll drop a link in the description uh, where you can get a really great trial offer to Lifehack Tribe. Cool. Thanks, everyone.